Hi everybody, welcome to another episode, 2, 5, and 10, episode 32. I'm KC, as always accompanied by Benny. Benny, what up? How's it going? Playoffs, second round, uh, kicking off Game of Thrones last night, Avengers came out, and plus a kick off this episode with the Foo Fighters, loving it. Um, Sometimes I don't know when to cut the intro, but sometimes I'm just feeling it too, so it, it is what it is. Uh. On the other end of things, I guess I just got to get right into the personal part of it. I've never seen Game of Thrones. I mean, I'm not holding that against you. All right, because I know like a lot of people, it's like winter is here or like stuff like that. And I read the things and it, you see it's like, it's like, oh, Game of Thrones, spoiler, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I have no idea who <laughs> these people are. So to, it, to me, it's like funny. But like if I ever went to get into it i'd probably be like oh my god i already know what happens yeah exactly i mean i'm not gonna i'm not one of those people that's gonna get on your ass for not watching it and i'm also not one of those people that just doesn't watch it because everybody else does i didn't watch it from the beginning the first lady got me started on it uh when season three was coming out so i was a little bit behind the bandwagon there but if you ever start it uh, most people that watch it just get hooked and they need to see where it wraps up. And this is the final season halfway through now. So it's starting to, a lot of shit starting to pick up. A lot of loose ends have to still be tied. Uh, but the episode last night was like an hour and 20 minutes. It was fantastic and frustrating all at the same time. All I know is that via Facebook post, Arya's the goat, whoever she is. I probably butchered her name, <laughs> but, but she's no, the you goat. Said it, you said it right. All right. Well, yeah, her. That that's all I know from Facebook. So, yeah, she she uh she got some air some airtime under her last night. Well, good for her. All the best. I I don't know if you can hear this or not, Ben, but but here it is. It's um the the playoff cold snap. Um, <laughs> so we're still hoping for the Sam Adams sponsorship here because I would love to just be able to crush Sam seventy sixes and porch rockers the whole way through. So. Hopefully someone on Sam Adams hears this. Maybe we'll pitch it the right way, a little hashtag Sam Adams, and we'll see what happens. That's all I'm saying. I mean, you can also just get in your car and drive to the factory and start talking to somebody. Come on, guy. It's, <laughs> it, it's playoffs. Wait till, the, wait till the season's over. Then we'll, we'll talk got, about you have, it. You have nothing else going on. We got hockey. We got the podcast. You got your job. You got the wife and the kids, one of which is sick. Like, what else you got going on? Just enjoying a beer while talking to you. <laughs> That's all, pal. <laughs> um getting it going where do you want to start uh i think we should always save the bees for as long as uh they go on their playoff run for last but out west the san jose colorado series really picked up last night a little bit of controversy with uh the tyson berry goal uh but i guess we can kick off there get what your thoughts are on the series so far as the series is going to shift to colorado on wednesday this series so far has been so back and forth that I don't even, like, you could run to the bathroom, take a quick piss, you come back, score change. You, you run to the fridge, you go grab a beer, you come back, score. You're like, what the fuck is going on in this game? And, and this whole series has been so back and forth that it's been, as a hockey fan, I don't think you can ask for more just watching it. But it's been crazy. Um, I can officially say, or we can officially say, Martin Jones is back. He, he's actually playing, like, the Martin Jones that can be Martin Jones. I don't know. I know we were iffy going into him into the whole playoffs, but it seems about the last four games, he's definitely picked it up. 
through that. Um, Philip Grubauer, the same thing. I just don't know. That save he made last night on Couture in the slot when he takes those two hard strides and bing, bing. I mean, he didn't glove it like Patrick Watt, but, I mean, he got enough that made the save in the puck wide. It was like, these boys are here to battle. And as a hockey fan, I don't think you can ask for more, which is awesome. Um, One other thing, McKinnon and Rantanen, currently both on six-game point streaks. Pretty good. Um, I think from game one, Miko Rantanen wants uh, that Kevin LeBanc goal back because he just absolutely nutmegged them coming across the blue line. Um, I know I'll touch on the other guy later for a difference maker, but um, Kevin LeBanc, man, like – when he puts it together on a shift, you're like, there he is. But then when he doesn't, you're like, oh, like it's so brutal. And I think for a guy like him, especially this time of the year, you can make a huge name for yourself in a huge payday. Like if you could just be consistent in the playoffs and take over games like he has thus far, you can go places. And people are now starting to catch on to him as to don't let him get that shot off. Like, right through Rantanen's legs, comes over, perfect toe drag snipe. It was like, oh, suck on that. Like, beautiful. Yeah, the thing with LeBanc was when we were doing our uh, series preview between the Sharks and the Vegas Golden Knights, I noted that he would have been, I think, the second leading scorer on a Golden Knights this year, but he was getting third line minutes on the Sharks, just as a way to illustrate the type of scoring punch that San Jose has. Uh, this has been a coming out party for him. The first uh, nine games of this playoff run San Jose is on. Not surprised at all. Him and Jumbo Joe in the third line is pretty formidable, especially going against a team like Colorado, which after their top line, it's kind of a hope and a prayer with Matt Nieto and company to uh, help the top line out with some offensive production. But when you're talking about money, Tyson Berry, goal, two assists last night. Uh, he's has one year left on his deal. He's getting paid, well, his cap hit is 5.5 mil. Then he's a free agent at the age of 29. Nine assists in the playoffs already so far, and that includes just the five-game series against the Flames in the first round. Really, really carrying play with the Avalanche. Their top line, like you know, to McKinnon and Ratnan playing well. The thing for me is San Jose has been the better team in these first two games. Uh, and I know the series is split 1-1. Jones has been playing well. He hasn't been standing on his head or anything, but he hasn't cost him a game. But that's what would worry me if I was San Jose. We've been a better team. Our guys are playing well. Jones has been playing well. But we're still tied, and now we're going on a road. And I feel like at some point in time, whether it's just one goal or one game, Martin Jones is going to cost him a game. And if that's the case, you could be down two uh, 3-1, tied 2-2, going back to San Jose against the fear, inferior team in terms of talent. So if I'm Colorado, I'm going back home. Grubauer is continuing his strong play of the last four or five months. Our big boys are stepping up. I'm fully confident going home to Denver. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of those deaf guys are still producing. Uh, Colin Wilson, another goal last night. So I think that it's more than just the big three there. I know we've always said, you know, they can only go as far as the big three takes them. But with some other guys with a lot of playoff experience kicking it on at the right time, I'm with you 100%. Who's to say that they don't go back to San Jose and they're down 3-1? Like, I think Colorado can take these two games. Yeah, Burns had two goals 
uh, last night. One of them was assisted by a broken skate blade uh, from one of the avalanche. He's picking up his game. Carlson is still, I know he had, he's picking up some assists. Some of them, most of them are secondary. He's still not elevating his play like he can. I don't know if he's even fully healthy. He came back very, very late in the year from an, that groin injury. So who knows if he's even 100% or 75%. Uh, we'll find out when the playoffs are over for San Jose at either now or in June. Uh, but one point last night I wanted to touch on was that Tyson Berry goal itself. Uh, with a, it was kind of a controversial uh, no-icing call by the linesman. It looked like Vlasic had a leg, uh, leg up on Ratnan. Probably should have been called icing, wasn't called icing. San Jose was caught off guard. They weren't playing until they heard a whistle. They just kind of assumed that the whistle would come. That led to the pass and the slot for Barry to tie the game at one in San Jose. Uh, Colorado was on their way. Yeah, I'm with you too. It's it's one of those things though. This time of the year, like play until the whistle. You're not going to get every call, and we've seen that this whole playoffs throughout. The officiating has been spotty at best, and with that, I mean, play until you hear a whistle. Like they tell you that when you're a mite. Like whack until you hear a whistle, you might score a goal. Skate it out until you hear a whistle. It might not be icing. With that, do you think? Because one thing I'm seeing is. Do you think Colorado is more willing to give up their body and sacrifice than San Jose is? Because a couple of those goals last night, guys got absolutely railroaded, but it opened it up for a scoring chance and a goal. So oh, yeah, with, the Matt Calver play for the empty netter? Yeah, the Matt Calver play, and then the goal right before it where they kind of flew the zone. Someone takes a bump at the uh, their defensive blue line there, but the other guys are set free. So to me, it's kind of like... If they're more willing to sacrifice, I think they can win this series, like we said last week. I mean, we both predicted Colorado to win. Whether that's good or bad, I don't know. But having a split in San Jose and going home, that's ideal for any road team in the NHL. First two away games, come home with a split. You come home 2-0, you're doing even better. But if you come home split, it was a great road trip. Agreed, and... Just to kind of highlight what you said with the physical aspect, I think if you're a team like Colorado and you know, I know the game, the two games so far have been kind of open offensively, but you know you can't win this series long term if you're going to get into a shootout with a team like San Jose. So you have to win those battles. You have to forecheck hard. You have to play physical. You have to go to the dirty areas because if you're not going to be able to outcompete a team like San Jose, you're definitely not going to be able to outscore them. Uh, in a shootout, so that's going to hurt them. So I think just because in a matchup that they have, they have to play that way. And that's highlighted by, like you said, that Matt Calvert, he had a chance with an empty net, didn't want to ice it, very veteran play. Uh, Calvert's been in the league a few years, started on Columbus, got the uh, pass off, took the big hit at the blue line from Brent Burns. But on the flip side of that, the Zadaroff hit on Evander Kane uh, in the second period, laying Kane out, and Kane's a big boy. Just kind of those two aspects highlighted in game two the way that Colorado's been playing so far in the series. And even though for a 60-minute scale, San Jose has been better in terms of their game plan. Colorado, like I said, has to be happy going home 1-1. And Grubauer's, even though he had that big save on Couture, hasn't really stolen a game yet. And Jones hasn't lost a game yet. So I think that if those two things happen, it's going to flip the series. And one other question I got for you. Do you think it's strange how it seems like San Jose turns it on when their back's against the ropes? Like, 
those two goals late yesterday to, you know, make it a one goal at the end, like even after the empty netter, they come back and score a goal. It's a little scary. That must have Colorado on the ropes in the sense of like, these games are not over until the 60 minutes is done. Like that burn, well, that Carlson to Burns play where Burns snipes it, it was like, holy shit, you got these two guys out there producing. Uh, Like scary just watching. Yeah, and it can't be a situation where, and the Rangers used to do this under Tom Rennie and Tortorella back in the day, where they weren't as talented as a lot of the teams they were facing and they would get that one two goal lead and then sit back on it and play basically like a zone defense. And that's playing not to lose. You know, that's not playing to win. So if you're Colorado and you see game seven between Vegas and San Jose, you see last night when they were down and they, uh, San Jose scored two goals late. I don't care if you're up two nothing, three one. You got to get that three goal lead. And even then, you're going to be like, okay, we got to protect this lead we got to act like we're only up one. But if you have a two-goal lead, one-goal lead against San Jose, even if it's late, late in the third period, you're going to be holding on for dear life. Oh, yeah, with all that firepower, just be careful. But at the same time, too, attack them. Like, they seemed a little laid back after the empty net, and then it's like, oh, shit, it's right back to a one-goal game. I know there was only 10 seconds left, but if there, was, if there was 25 seconds left, they'd be shitting their pants. Exactly. Uh, so going from this series, which has been, I think, really aesthetically pleasing to watch in terms of the offensive uh, game plan of both teams, sticking out west, the St. Louis and Dallas series, a little less scoring, a little more physical, defensive-minded, which we all knew going into the series, especially with the goaltending that they have. What are your thoughts so far? Bishop is living up to his billing. Uh, tied 1-1 going to Dallas. I tell you what, Dallas is carrying over what they did in that first round of being able to capitalize on every app opportunity. Uh, yesterday, four on four, Petrangelo comes down, gets a chance, takes a shot on Bishop. Bishop has a kick save out towards the boards. Dallas's D-man, I didn't know who it was, outlets it up, gives it to Hanks, and then Hanks gives it to Hiskinen with that nasty finish, like filthy. And it's like, What are the odds that Petrangelo takes a shot, as you should, and they get the perfect bounce off Bishop's pad, and now they're coming the other way, knowing that Petrangelo is down below that other hash mark down the other end, and it's going to be a 2-1-1 or a 2-1-2, but it's only going to be one D guy. Like, every time they get a chance, they score. And that's crucial, man. Like, we can talk about hot goalies all you want in the NHL this time of the year, but if you can get a team that can capitalize any time there's a chance, that's scary. And those guys yesterday, that uh, Zuccarello, Hanks, and Faxfeline, flying around. Zuccarello is a problem for them. And who the fuck is this Hanks guy? I, 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 don't <laughs> know who, I don't know who he is, but he's killing it for him. Yeah, in game two, uh, Zuccarello, Hanks, and Dickinson, uh, the other guy on their line, combined for seven points. And that was... I think one of the biggest marks going against Dallas heading into the postseason was outside of their top line, could they count on any offense production? And that trade for Zuccarello is looming large because it looks like he's been able to play with pretty much anybody uh, on his line and improve their offensive output. And if that's the case and you have Zuccarello on a power play and you can put a guy like Spets on a power play and you have your top line, you have Bishop in goal, uh, Klingberg and Eskinen is playing well. 
they've just really slowed the game down. St. Louis, they have a lot of talent. They have a uh, good goaltending as well, but they want to play that fast-paced game. And Dallas has just been, they slowed it down a game too, and now they're going home. They're going to have last change. They'll probably be able to get a guy like Jamie Benn opposite of Tarasenko to try and neutralize him. But even in game two, I, at one point they had iced the puck eight times. So it's not even like they're trying to continue to play to uh, have a transition game. They're getting the puck and they're shooting it down, and they'll take that whistle, they'll slow that game down, and they'll figure it out from a set defensive face off from there. You, you mentioned da- Jamie Benn. I, I got one for you. Him and Tarasenko went at it yesterday. Like, like just yeah. in each other's face, just jumping all over each other. With that being said, I mean... Do you see these guys, I don't want to say dropping the gloves, but do you think they're in each other's head a little bit? Because Tarasenko went to the bench, and you and you could see him still chirping him through the glass there and through all the timekeepers. So it's like, if Jamie Benn could just neutralize Tarasenko, he, he did more than his job. Oh, absolutely. Because if you eliminate... Or even just get Tarasenko off his game. It's kind of like Kovalchuk for the Devils back in the day. That has a ripple effect throughout the rest of the lineup. Because if you're, if Tarasenko is able to produce or even take attention away from guys like Shen and Schwartz and Steen, that's going to help the Blues up-tempo, high four-check game. If Tarasenko is not producing and he's more focused on getting into a physical matchup with Jamie Benn, like you say, coincidental minor penalties he got on that play, he was off the rest of the game. And if that's going to be final change going to two games into Dallas, I'm having Ben ride his ass for those two games and see what happens. And if Bishop stays healthy and they can steal, even if they go back to St. Louis split 2-2, that's a better position than I think anybody could have expected for Dallas going into this matchup. And the other thing, too, with those coincidental minors, while they were playing four on four, three goals scored, two for Dallas, one for St. Louis. So it was pretty wide open. (laughs) <laughs> and the thing for me is you got to expect a veteran like Jason Spezza to step up at some point. I know I think he had that one goal in the first round, but he's been kind of MIA. I know he's not a huge playoff performer over the course of his career, but at this point he's getting 10, 13 minutes of ice time a game, uh, some power play time. He's got to be able to see these guys picking up their play and you might get that opportunity to have the matchup at home where Spets is out against the Blues' fourth line, and he might be able to help you out there and get that goal that determines the victory because every game in a series is going to be 2-1, 1-0, 3-2, something like that if you eliminate the empty netters. So if you get a, are able to get a matchup in your favor at home and Spets out there as a veteran is going to be able to get that opening, you never, you never know if that's going to change the series. Oh, no, I'm with you 100% on that. The Home ice is key just for that last change. I I wonder if at some point the NHL goes away from that last change in the sense of, you know how for the face-offs now it all depends on which zone you are as to who Mm -hmm. has to put their stick down first. So I wonder if they go defensive zone, you have to make the first change, offense to the second. In the neutral zone, it would be the away team, and then in the other way they would switch it up. So that way it eliminates certain matchups. I know absolutely it's definitely a key point and it's definitely something you want and worth having but I think that's what makes home ice so key here and you get at least two games at home two games at home two games away everything else is extra 
But with that, yeah, you have to capitalize completely. And like you said, if it's putting Spets out there against their fourth line just to get a chance, maybe get them going a little bit, sure. The other thing, too, is we went into this series and we were talking about the big three over in Dallas and Sagan, Ben, and Radulov and not knowing what they were going to have behind them. But currently, that other line with whoever Zuccarello is playing with looks phenomenal. And Klingberg's picked up. Heisken has picked up. Uh, Bishop had some big words for him today saying he's a no-doubt future Hall of Famer, which I want to pump to his brakes a little bit, Benny. Um, but yeah, Dallas, it looks like... Listen, St. Louis is talented. St. Louis is coached very well. I have full confidence that they're going to be able to come out in Dallas and uh, exert, not maybe not their dominance, but their game plan on a team like Dallas. But if they're able to continue getting secondary... Uh, support and production from their lower lines and their top line and the top defense pair keeps playing well, this might be a longer series than I thought. I had St. Louis in five. This might be a longer series. Oh, crap. I don't remember what number I had them in. It might have been five or six. I I know I had them going in it, but, yeah, I'm with you 100% on it. It's one of those things that you don't know because St. Louis was kind of neutralized on Saturday. There wasn't a really big spark and none of those goals go against Bennington. Everything was odd man. So I don't put it against them, but maybe Dallas has the recipe here. They might have the formula cooking. Yeah. I wonder how not boring of a series, but how low scoring of a series it would be if Dallas was able to pull off this upset again and knock off St. Louis, and then and they end up playing Colorado in a conference final. <laughs> now that would be, yeah, that'd be good. Uh, but last note on this, did you see the fans in St. Louis singing uh, Country Road, Take Me Home yeah, to the yeah. Play, I belong? And they're I, not in West so, Virginia, so it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, and I was just like, damn, I forgot how good of a hockey city St. Louis can be when they're I'm not calling them fair weather fans, but like when they they know their team's going to be able to make a run, they're fully in it. And after the last few years of the first round upsets and getting eliminated and missing playoffs, they finally get the team to turn a corner and the fans are back in a big way. And it's really, really good to see in a market like St. Louis. Oh, absolutely. I don't want to call them a secondary market because that sounds like scumbaggish, but in a secondary market like St. Louis, yeah, it's nice getting the fans into it. One last one on this series. How come Heiskanen, Heiskanen, however you say it, why is he not in the Calder talk for? He has been solid for them this whole year. He's been producing points, rookie defenseman just like Darlene. Do you think that comes into where he was picked, market? What do you think? I think it definitely has to do with market. Even though Buffalo is considered a small market team, they're uh, playing in a division with all those Canadian teams in Boston and uh, they get that kind of East Coast media attention uh, in that sense. Heiskanen's in Dallas, you know, not really a hotbed for hockey coverage. So I think that's kind of working against him a little bit. But also, you only have three slots for the Calder nominees. And I already had Darlene as my winner. And then I had Bennington as the second guy. And I don't think there's a chance that they're going to leave uh, Patterson out of the uh, Calder voting. So I just think it was a very strong year for the rookie class, which is good for the league. Uh, but I also think playing in Dallas kind of worked against them a little bit. 
fair enough. Want to uh, head out east? We, we can go with your boys out in, uh, I'd say, Long Island, but they're in Brooklyn. No, oh, they're not my boys. Please don't ever say that again. <laughs> um, yeah, Islanders down 2 nothing. Music to my ears. Uh, lose the two games in Brooklyn, which was a complete shock because, you know, that's one of the hardest places to play in the National Hockey League, if you can't sense my sarcasm. Uh, I think game two, the win that Carolina was able to get, they were down one nothing going to the third. They lose Morazic uh, to a lower body injury. He's day-to-day. We'll get into that in a little bit. But to lose your starting goalie, who's been your guy all playoffs, you're down one nothing, and you're still able to pull out that win, that's going to be huge to have that two-game lead because who knows what kind of goaltending you'll get from Curtis McElhaney in Morazic's absence. And if you go to Carolina, split 1-1, and then you have your backup in goal, and he's not up to snuff, that series can end really quick. So at least now you guarantee yourself a six-game series, you buy yourself some time for Morazic to get healthy and come back in in case McElhaney doesn't play well. Uh, so I think that comeback win yesterday was huge. In the words of Barry Trotz, it was only 48 seconds of good hockey. <laughs> and to me, it was kind of humorous and because that whole game, I don't know if you saw it end to end, but like it was a bloodbath. Like they were coming out. There was bodies flying everywhere. It was insane. Van Riemsdyk gets hurt in the first 13 seconds of the game. Cal Clutterbuck throws him right into the boards. End of the game, Cal Clutterbuck has to be carried off the ice by Matt Martin because he can't put any pressure on his leg. Like, guys were earning it yesterday. With that being said, um, game one, the overtime winner by Jordan Stahl. Uh, I'm sorry, I just spaced on the Islanders goalie's name. Robin Leonard. Leonard. Robin Leonard. I was going to call him Robin Regeer. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, Leonard comes out and calls it an absolute shit goal. And it was on his part. I forget who shoots it from the point. They intentionally shoot it wide. Stahl is on the back door goal line, and he puts it in. If you see a puck going that far wide, because it wasn't like it was a little wide. It was a lot of wide. And for him to get beat on that, someone who is debatable Vesna winner this year. I know he's a finalist. He could be. I don't know whichever way people are voting. But I think he needs to have that there. Like, you got to extend that game. You can't let that goal go in. Especially since it's your home arena. You got to know those bounces and how the boards play. I know Detroit, uh, back at Joe Lewis Arena, had would use their boards to a massive advantage. And uh, to be able to be at your home arena and see that the puck's going wide and not know how the bounce is going to work against you and leave that, uh, I believe it was his left side, open, uh, was that can't happen, especially for a veteran goalie. You know, it's his first year in, in New York playing in Brooklyn, but that can't happen. Maybe it's because they were so used to Long Island that they went back to Brooklyn. You know, different <laughs> boards, different boards, different arena. These things happen, Benny. So so fucking amateur. But, yeah, first game, one nothing final. Second game, one nothing going into the third period, and then two quick goals by the Hurricanes. I'm not surprised that it's a low-scoring series just because the Islanders gave it the least amount of goals all year. They have good goaltending. Barry Trotz is their coach. But now that they're on the road, you lose that last change. I know this is a point that I'm going to harp on, especially during playoff time with the last changes and uh, long changes. They lose that last change. They lost when they had a lead. They lost even though they were facing Carolina's backup in McElhaney. 
if Carolina gets the first goal in game three at home, I'm not saying it's going to have a long-term momentum swing for the rest of the series, but that might put the Islanders in a pretty big hole for game three. Oh, that'd be huge. One thing going the other way, I mean, Barry Trotz was in this position last year being down 0-2 with the Capitals. They came back and won the Cup. Yeah. Is this different? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Capitals had a lot more star power. Could this just be more of a a team thing as opposed to having all the superstars? These guys are more bonded team-wise? Yeah, absolutely. But Carolina at home this year in the playoffs, 3-0. and And not to mention, too, Peter Morazic goes in, steals Game 7 against Washington, and then Game 1 against the Islanders. And then your backup comes in and makes yep. 17 saves. I, I mean, it, it doesn't look good. And with Morazic being out, do you hear that music? That's Scott Darling's music. Oh, you think you think he's making a return? Dun, 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 I mean, they need the two goalies, especially if Morazic isn't healthy, which... When I found out he was hurt, they only carried two goalies, uh, the Hurricanes. And the fact that, I guess their reasoning was they didn't want to have Darling on the playoff roster because the Charlotte Checkers were in the East AHL playoffs and they didn't want to screw up their playoff run. Like, who gives a... You're trying to win a Stanley Cup. I, I don't know. I just think that's an insurance policy you should have as a team making a playoff run. Um, but yeah, I could... I probably would imagine that they would bring Darling up to back up McElhaney if Mrazek can't go in Game 3. Um, on the other side of it, you mentioned this in the series preview, Boychuk hasn't played a game in a series. I, I know Trotz turned the Islanders around this year incredibly well. He implemented the system incredibly well. Is this not a testament to Trotz as a coach? Not only for the entire regular season, but now you lose your top pairing pretty much shut down defensemen, and you give up two goals in the first two games of the series against Carolina. The only other thing is you only gave up three goals the whole series. Like, yeah. You still have the best goals against the playoffs, 1.5 a game. The league average is almost three at 2.9. I mean, maybe it's just more being snake-bitten than anything, but at the same time, you can't let them score 48 seconds apart. You can't. Yeah. Like... You want to talk about momentum changes and shifts? There it is. Hey, we were down one nothing going into the third. Now we're tied 1-1. Boom, hey, we're up. Let's go. Let's lock it down. <laughs> and Trost is nominated for Jack Adams for Coach of the Year. He's going against Craig Berube and John Cooper. This has That has to be Trost's award for what he did on Long Island with it. They they went from the worst Islanders, goals against to best goals against. Like, that's complete 180. Complete. And, and they basically had slightly more talent than the Rangers had this year. And the Rangers finished sixth worst in the league. And Islanders made the playoffs and almost won a division. Yeah. What's that tell you? I mean, we could go into the Jack Adams thing. Maybe you want to do it after the season, like before yeah, the yeah, awards, yeah. and we'll do that. But, yeah, I don't know how he doesn't win. We can all say Cooper had a stack Tampa Bay. Absolutely. But but the only other thing, too, is you want to talk about turning a team around. Baruby did it, too. So, yeah. I mean, I guess they can rock, paper, scissor on the stage and see who wins. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, No Neck Barry is a potential Jack Adams Award winner. Uh, we'll shift over to your boys in Beantown. The Bruins split the first two games at home at TD Garden with the Columbus Blue Jackets 1-1. Uh, 
there are some rumblings that there might be some either line changes or roster changes heading into Game 3 in Columbus, uh, I believe, tomorrow night. What are your thoughts so far? How has Tuca looked in your eyes? How Who's been playing as well as you were hope, would hope and who has been uh, playing below standards for you guys so far? Um, if we're going with the lines, like you said, before I jump all the way around, I know I got the worst ADD in the world, and that's probably why Alex doesn't listen, but that's fine. Um, the lineups of practice today were Martian Bergeron Heinen, DeBrus huh. Krejci Kuhlman, Johansson Coyle Pasternak, Nordstrom Corrali and Achari, and then the D stayed the same with Chara McAvoy, Crew Carlo, Grizzlick, and Clifton. With that being said, David Pasternak has been awful. He can't catch a pass. He can't give a pass. He can't take a shot. If people listen to this podcast, which I know they don't, I can tell you that I don't know what episode it was, but when Pasternak got hurt, I said, in the playoffs, this thumb thing is going to bite them in the ass. Is it the thumb? I don't know. It, It very well could be. But at the same time, if it's not, whatever's going on, he needs to fix that mojo. It's completely broken. I've never seen a guy get a pass just below the red line at center ice on a power play, mind you, and make a cross ice pass to the blue line to nobody. Just completely give the puck up right to the D, right back down the other end, and then go for a line change. Like, it's a power play. What the fuck are you doing? With that being said, Jake DeBrusque, very quiet, needs to pick it up a little bit. Charlie Coyle, as good as he has been offensively, has had some brutal turnovers. He he should get the assist on the goal. I forget whose goal it was. Panarin's, I believe. He should get the assist on the goal. He he went backhand, no look pass from the corner, straight out across to the blue line. Shot score. Like, what are you doing? They tell you never put the puck up the middle. Not to mention complete no-look backhand across the ice. Like, what are you thinking? Um, th- There's been a lot of question marks. Uh, Chris Wagner in the lineup the other night, but very limited ice time. I don't know if there's an injury there or not. David Backus, who is an assistant captain making $6 million a year, hasn't even touched the ice this series. I was going to ask about that. I don't know who you might be able to pull for him. But do you think someone that has as much playoff experience as he has is used to being in a leadership role, is very willing to play that physical game, could be inserted into the lineup to shake things up a little bit and kind of uh, put Columbus on their heels as much as they're trying to forecheck against you guys? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you can definitely insert him in the lineup. Currently, I don't know where. I mean, with as bad as Pasternak's playing, I don't think you can take him out, unfortunately. He's just one of those lightning-in-a-bottle players. But with that being said, in the first round in games that he went in against Toronto, his physicality and forecheck and defensive, like, everything was there. The issue was at one point during one of the games, I forget which game it was, he goes in on a forecheck, makes a hit, and then you just don't even see him in the screen anymore, and the puck's already in your defensive zone. And then finally he pops in, you're able to get the puck out, and he goes for a line change. I just think he doesn't have the gas in the tank anymore, and it's definitely unfortunate. I just think with him going in and out of the lineup, it's going to be very, very difficult to just jump in. 
it, like to keep your wind up and jump in age yeah can you make a difference absolutely can he hurt you at the same time absolutely so on that end it's ugly I had a prediction for game two that the Bruins are going to win 5-1 and chase Bobrovsky I think it was more of a hope just because <laughs> Anderson was so good in that first round that I was just hoping we could get one past this crazy Russian and hopefully get something brewing a little bit yeah we can confirm we did not chase Bobrovsky yeah, he's continued his hot play, which is going to be huge in the series against you guys. Um, I, I have two points. One of them is just like I wanted to comment on a quote from after game two uh, from the post-game scrum. Uh, my main thing that I've noticed on the Columbus side is, you know, they have their top pair, Seth Jones, Zach Berensky, uh, playing. They played well in the first series against <coughs> excuse me, against Tampa. Uh, they were expected to play against the Bergeron and Marshall line, and they're playing well. But Wierenski got torched on on his back check and stick check on one of the Charlie Coyle goals. I think it was the OT winner, where he was just trying – Coyle just skates right past him, and he foot feet staying still, not trying to keep up, and he's trying to basically water ski off a of Coyle with the stick check and blew right past him, gave up the goal. You can't – I know he's still a young guy. And I know Tortorella probably talked to him after the game about it. But if you're going to be playing 20, 25 minutes of ice time a game in the playoffs, and you're going to be playing a team as experienced as Boston, you can't play with any of that weak defensive shit. No. And speaking of Charlie Coyle, one guy here, like I, when I was talking about Kevin LeBanc earlier, this was the other guy I was talking about. When he wants to take over a game between his size, physicality, and actual, like, prowess around the net whether it's scoring goals or making passes can take over a game yeah and it's visible but the problem is when he doesn't come out with that same physicality and you know sniffing around the net that's the problem about being a bigger guy everyone can see it this time of the year needs to be consistent and that's the one like the one thing i preach like if you come and you have a bad shift shake it because if you have another bad shift your game is dictated to that. Like, stay on the course. Shit happens, absolutely. Wiggle it out. Get on the bench. Dr- drink a Pepsi. Like, I don't care. Whatever's going to get you in that zone. Shake off that last shift. It's a new shift. Like, let's get going. Going forward, Tuka Rask hasn't been to blame here. I, I don't no. think you can blame Tuka Rask. I don't think you can blame Sergey Bobrovsky. Either of them, they've both played very well. Another thing is Brandon Dubinsky's comments after the game. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to touch on. <laughs> um, I had to laugh because the, the reporter asked him, how do you think it's going to be game three in Columbus? And his response was a hell of a lot louder than it was here in Boston. Dude, you have cannons there. Of course it's going to be loud. Like, w- what do you think in this, like, you and your bandwagon fans when you can't sell out dick – you got a cannon for whatever it is, start of the game, and when you score goals, like, hey, if that makes you feel good, have at it. If that, if you want to get your fans all riled up heading home, have at it. But if you're trying to tell me we're having a fan off between the Bruins and the Columbus Blue Jackets, like, give me a fucking break. That's a joke. My um, thing about it is, 
I get Dex's game. Uh, he's not like an agitator on the ice, but he is the type of guy that's going to try and get under his opponent's skin. He's been playing with Tortorella the majority of his career, both in New York and in Columbus now. Uh, he's more of a defensive center or winger at this point of his career. I don't get the upstairs. I don't think there's much upside to that comment, knowing that it's going to get back to not only the fans in Boston, but the players for the Bruins. And they're a playoff-tested team. They, these guys have been there and done that. You just stole basically a game or going home with a split. Why would you give them any type of reasoning to want to stick it up your ass? Just go home and pull out the two wins if you can. I don't. He's a veteran. I know what he's trying to do. I just think this is the wrong team to do it against. Well, hear this one out. Say the Bruins come and they win this series, like we both predicted, right? They have game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. Whatever that result is, there's a post-game media scrum. What do you expect in game two? I expect it to be a hell of a lot louder than it is in Columbus <laughs> right now. So, like, it's just like, shut up. Like, I get it. You, get you it. want your guys to go, but, like, shut up. Like, it's the stupidest thing in the world. Your boy, Torts, is he going for, like, the Jerry York church choir boy look with the vest and, like, the zip-up on underneath the suit coat? Well, what's going on with that? Listen, I think he turned over a new leaf. He probably read a few self-help books, and he's, he's finally reached his internal zen. And he's just going to you know, let the dice fall where they may and not get upset anymore. A good Catholic uh, boy like him went to confession. He's a new man. Exactly. But to be honest, I think uh, – I know you gave your looking ahead for the series. The two big points for me are you're not – Neither of these teams are really going to get out-coached. Uh, they're very good coached teams. They have very good systems. For me, it's going to boil down to, especially if the goaltending stays the way it is, who can capitalize on that one mistake or those two mistakes over the course of a game that will turn the game around and give you a series lead or clinch the series for you. And I know Boston's tested. I know they have guys like Bergeron and Krejci and uh, DeBrusque and Guys in the back end have been there, done that. But for me, Columbus, if it's this low-scoring series, I think that benefits Columbus because they have the ability, like you saw with Panarin, all it takes is that one mistake, and I think they have more overall talent to be able to just capitalize on that one mistake in a very low-scoring series. Oh, so absolutely. So if I'm Boston, i got to continue pushing offensively. I can't sit back and play like you guys used to when you were going to the Cup and you won the Cup the 2 one one nothing series, and you're perfectly content playing that type of game. I think that suits Columbus way more than it would for Boston because of the little bit of disparity in talent. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Columbus's power play is lethal. Like They're leading the league right now in postseason power play. They're almost at 40%. With that being said, Panarin's got a goal in both games from the same spot. Fix it. Yeah. Um, well, they've been trying to do that with Ovechkin for like 15 years. I know. Maybe it's just the Russian spot thing where they find <laughs> their spot and you can't do anything. It is what it is. The Bruins need to stop churning over the puck. I know I talked about Coyle earlier, but Zdeno Chara in this series has shown his age. He may have absolutely railroaded Riley Nash, but outside of that, he was getting torched in game one for his awful stick handling. And in game two, he's having these awful turnovers. One of them... Instead of going off the glass and out or just down the boards, he goes straight through the middle and it gets held up at the blue line. Like, what are you thinking? Like, 
those are rookie mistakes. You've been in the league how many years now? You're 42 years old. Like, you want you are the captain. I don't want to say you want to be the captain. You are the captain of this team. Make better choices. Like, fuck me. Like, why are you going up the middle with that? I have no idea. But it ends up in the back of your net. Another thing I have is, what are your thoughts on these reverse hits? Because... Connor Clifton absolutely killed one of the Blue Jackets in the first period the other night. To me, it all depends on the context of the play. Um, I think if the guys, I mean, look, it's a fast game. It's split-second decisions. There's a lot of factors that go into it being a clean hit, dirty hit, borderline, all that shit. Um, I I don't have a problem with the reverse hit as long as you know the guy's coming in there, to not play the puck and just play the body. But if you're along the boards or anywhere uh, along the end boards and you see a guy coming in full steam and he's not—he's coming in to get the puck, I think going to reverse it there essentially kind of crosses the line a little bit because he's almost like a, uh unsuspecting uh, receiver. But if he's, if he's coming in to play, I don't think there's a problem with that kind of Clifton hit necessarily uh, but there is a chance for some borderline hits that might lead to some serious injury in that sense yeah i mean the the puck was in there clifton was going after it i forget who the columbus guy was but he was coming behind him and clifton just hits the brakes and jumps backwards into him right near the puck but with that being said in a normal play you think that puck's going in the forward whoever's there is going to be hard on that defenseman check the d and go from there and now it's the d's kind of pumping the brakes a little bit and whether it's just a stop or he's stopping and jumping back into you like definitely unexpected like you're getting a whole back full right in your face it's not like he's going against the boards and he's just slowing up and your guys are making contact he's just completely giving it to you yeah, I think this is something that the competition committee and the Board of Governors might address this summer uh, in terms of a potential rule change, uh, just because they are concerned about player safety. And it's, I think this is a new development a new development that could lead to a serious injury around the league, but I don't think it's entirely illegal now, especially if you keep the elbows down uh, and the principal point of contact isn't in the head. But I think that just adds another layer to, if you're on a four-check, something that you have to keep in mind of, oh, this guy I can has his shoulder turned against the glass, I can give him shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, steal a puck, anything along those lines. Now you got to factor in, he might know I'm coming, and he's just going to uh, lay his shoulder into me as well. So it might slow up the forecheck a little bit, which could help Boston, because that's Columbus's whole offensive game is predicated on that hard forecheck uh, and turnover. And they are a big team. Like, just size-wise, they're big. I think the only little one's Atkinson. Outside of that, everyone's at least six foot. Yeah, I'm excited to continue and hopefully see more of uh, Sedano Chara, Josh, Josh Anderson match up the rest of the series. Kill him. Bleed all over <laughs> him. Let him know you're there. <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, I know we're only two games into the second-round matchups. Uh, next week when we record, I wouldn't be surprised if at least one of the or two of these series are over, and we can give recaps then. Uh, but we'll be posting this episode on Monday night. Uh, St. Louis and Dallas are playing tonight. 
tomorrow night will be Boston and Columbus, first game in Columbus in the series, and then San Jose, Colorado. Uh, so looking forward to these games, I think moving forward, I still think the most exciting series in the East is going to be Boston, Columbus, and out West is going to be San Jose, uh, Colorado. But Dallas is, Dallas is looking a little good, pretty good, man. Yeah, I think they're going to make us a little nervous, unfortunately. <laughs> you got anything for a shootout this week? Or? I, I'll, yeah, a little shootout. I'm going to alert everybody. Spoilers for last night's Sunday night's Game of Thrones. Spoiler. So you can fast forward about 25 seconds if you don't want to hear it. It's going to be quick. Okay. So my only gripe about the episode last night is for seven and a half seasons, we've been hearing nothing but how the Night King and the Walkers are coming to end humanity, and he's they get dispelled in about 20 seconds when the Night King is killed. And I just think that leaves a huge story arc that wasn't really explored well, and that's one of the things that really bothered me about the episode last night. End scene. Okay, spoilers are over. Yeah, I totally have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Go team. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, other than that, pretty uneventful week and weekends. Had a nice, uh, relaxing weekend on my end. A- any shout-outs? The, the, the First Lady, can I shout her out? First Lady? Yeah, you can give a shout-out to the First Lady. I mean, I'm not going to lie. She's been slacking a little bit. I expect a little bit more uh, fashion content out of her. That's just my personal opinion. I I need something (laughs) to comment on and, you know, make her day get better through my comments. And I haven't had that opportunity. So I'm just I'm a little hurt more more than anything. I'm just disappointed. Well, I just a little behind the scenes action for you here. Uh, She helped out on a shoot last week. She's actually had a shoot this afternoon as we're recording. Uh, So she's getting those pictures edited, all spruced up to look good for everybody. And I think. By the end of this week, you'll get your fill of uh, photos of her styling models and her modeling as well. Well, thank God. I was I was getting worried. <laughs> uh, but other than that, uh, you know, my customary shout out to the first lady. I just want to give a shout out to, uh, you know, the people that listen. They send the, the good reviews for us on iTunes and on our Facebook page and uh, all the people that interact on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis on our social media posts and give us a listen, much appreciated. Uh, I know an episode being recorded halfway through a playoff round may not be the most exciting thing uh, to go through, but uh, we'll definitely keep you guys up to date on our social media page on Facebook and uh, give you all your series recaps as they finish up. Speaking of the social media and interaction with the fans, I have a shout out to my boy, the sh- well, my boys, the Spilners, uh, Mark and Zach, and then Stratty jumps in it too. And we also have another shout out, the whole uh, Georgetown hockey team via text. We-, we all jump in, and I think that's how we're going to interact with the boys now here too. Is we're going to post on the social media for every game who we think's going to win, wh- whatever we predict the score is going to be, and who we think's going to score the game winning goal. And that's all of our texting. We do it before every Bruins game, just kind of a ritual now as to score, game winner, and things like that. And, I mean, it's just getting fun now. Like, I dropped the 5-1 last week. Spilly chirped me. He's like, 
don't you have a podcast? And I was like, Jesus Christ, like we're not good. <laughs> and then the other thing was, uh, I'm kind of putting the loss on spill a little bit. Cause he, he said in the garden, it was quiet, not really a lot of energy And me and Zach. I mean, we told him he should rip that button up in half and he didn't do it. And it, I mean, would the Bruins have won if he did? I mean, there's a chance. Would they have still lost? I mean, there's a chance. We'll never know because that button-up never got ripped. So, um, yeah. Game five, Spill. You know, wear a T-shirt, already pre-cut, rip that Hulkamania, that thing, right in half. Like, let's go, baby. Let's go. Oh, hold on. Question. When are we getting our uh, national anthem in a Renee style? Oh, I spoke to him the other day. He informed me that he wants to see as to how far the Bruins go in the playoffs. He has predicted that the Bruins are going to win the Stanley Cup, and he wants to wait till the Bruins Stanley Cup hat comes out, and he's going to wear that while he's singing the anthem. So either when they win a cup or if the Bruins end up getting eliminated is when he'll do it. Correct, yes. So we will have that. We will post that when we get it with our boy Shadiso from up north. Um, big shout-out, Big Red. Big shout-out to my now four-year-old, The Cannibal. Uh, Emma, I hope you feel better. It's been a long couple of days. Uh, a big disappointment. I called Chris Stratford today and I left him a beautiful voicemail and I never got a text or a phone call back up your Stratty. Um, Kyle Eisner, me and Stratty. Give him a break. He's probably with his other boyfriend. He better not be. He, he said that it was just me. I could be his wife during the week and he could go to her on the weekend. So if if that's the way it is, he wants to play me dirty, that's fine. I'll I'll find another boy toy. Um, Eisner, we, we need to steal you for a game. And, yeah, that's all I got. I, I, I'm excited, man. I just – playoffs. Playoffs. Because it's the cup. Because it's the cup, baby. Um, we will catch all you guys next week. And until then, love, peace, and hair grease. And just keep interacting on the Facebook, like Venny said. Leave a rating or a review on iTunes. We appreciate all of it. I mean, I hope you guys like it. We like doing it. And with all the Bruins overtime games, we're just looking for a hero. That's all we're looking for.